We've been saying all semester long that it's the Gospel and the Gospel alone that really liberates and transforms us. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ that God loves sinners, that He has bled and died for them. That that message right there is the only thing that can both set a man or a woman free and that can ever change them. And tonight, we're going to continue looking at that um, as we read from uh, the, fir- the fourth chapter here in Galatians. You might have it printed there on your page. If not, feel free to read, it, read along with me or just listen. Paul is talking to this church because they are uh, a bit in trouble, because they are tempted to fall back into a man-made religion, one that is only further enslaving them. So that kind of sets you up a little bit about what we're reading. I'll begin. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel. It just literally means as a messenger of God, as, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing that you felt? For I testify to you that... If possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Amen. This is God's Word. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. Would you pray with me and we, as we ask God to open up our eyes and ears that we might understand Him? Lord, we need You tonight. Would You, by Your Holy Spirit and through Your Word, Show us these true things, these good things for our benefit, for our good. Would you encourage the weak? Would you strengthen them, O Lord? Would you give life to all of us, we pray, that Jesus might be made much of. Amen. Um, I just kind of want to start tonight by telling you a little bit of personal testimony. I've been here on campus now for, I'm entering into my third year and I just want to tell you that I love my job. I mean, it's hard, but it's good. You see, I love getting to know you. To meet TCU students really is one of the highest pleasures that I could possibly ask for at this season of my life. As I've gotten to know you guys through the past couple of years, I love getting to see and to witness, almost with a front row seat, what God is up to in your lives. It is the super coolest job in the world to be able to watch what He is doing um, 
through you. In fact, several years ago when God began to uh, close doors for me on en route to medical school, uh, and I began to consider a life in ministry, it was really because of the way that I got to care and have front row seats in the lives of students that made me want to do this job. So I love my job. I love my job because I love y'all. Y'all make it great. But I also want to say something else. This job is hard. And it wears me out. And do you know why it wears me out? Well, it's an honor. Don't get me wrong. But I want to tell you, every semester, I get a front row seat. And I watch and I learn. As I hear about... um, as I hear about the real sorrows that you have in life too. Um, the Christian life is anything but easy. The old adage, come to Jesus and everything's going to be perfect, is a lie. So don't believe it. You see, I have seen and walked alongside you where you have been both the victims and the agents of sin as you have made shipwreck of your lives. And it's hard for me. I do weep for you because I love you so. And why do I say all this? I just want you to know, you get close to anyone and you'll love it and you'll hate it. You see, you'll you'll love getting to know people and all of their glory and all of their gifts and all of their joys and their story because people really are awesome. Like, people are awesome, y'all. But they're also what Francis Schaeffer says. He calls us glorious ruins. We have both this high glory and yet we're ruinous as well. And I tell you this, you get involved with people and you'll hurt with them as well. Paul knew this too. You see, as a pastor, he knew what it was like to love and to grieve for those that he cared for. In fact, in this text, we're going to learn that Paul is actually bewildered. Your translation might say perplexed at the lives, at the way that the Galatians really are shipwrecking their lives. They're making a mess of themselves. And he literally is so stirred that the the Greek word there for being perplexed is literally this deep soul anguish. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I don't know if you've ever had like clinical anxiety. I don't know if you've ever been so stressed out because you've watched somebody you love Make a wreck of their lives. And that is what Paul is saying here in this text. Now, at this moment, you may be tempted to kind of say, well, it's time for me to tune out because I'm not a pastor. But I want to say not so fast. Because I think you'd be wrong to do that. You see, in reality, all of us know what it's like to be in any sort of relationship with people we care about. Moreover, if you're a Christian... Your King, your Lord, actually says that you are called to love your neighbor. And that love is not a trite, sentimental, sappy sort of love. It is the sort of love that will be very, very costly for you to give. I think this message tonight really is for all of us. Paul is going to help us to see what gives rise to his bewilderment and how to help us in ours too. See, if we look closely at this text, we're going to see the cause, the symptom, and the response to Paul's bewilderment. He's looking out at this Galatian church. They're making a shipwreck. They are absolute train wrecks. They are 
RUF at TCU's language, hot messes. And Paul is trying to say, here's what it's doing to me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever watched somebody in your life that you care for make a shipwreck of their life? Moreover, have you been like me and actually made shipwreck of your own life? I know I have. And it's by God's grace alone that He recovers us. So let's take a look at this. First of all, taking a look at the cause. If you're to look at verses 8 through 11, you'll see the cause of Paul's bewilderment. What is it that's causing him this deep anxiety of spirit? Well, listen, we've said all week, I mean, week after week, all semester, that the Galatian church was turning to another gospel. One that was, in fact, no gospel at all. It was not good news. You see in verse 9, you see it right there. He's saying, you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, noting that doing so is actually making them slaves once more. You see, the people Paul loved and cared for are turning back to a false understanding of the Gospel. They have chosen a way of relating to God that is based on their own efforts. They were saying, in essence, that for God to accept me, I must take Jesus and add something to Him. That God will only be pleased with me if I take Jesus and a little bit of moral effort. A little bit of cleaning myself up. A little bit more Bible reading. A little bit more attending RUF plus Jesus will really make me acceptable with God. And Paul calls that nothing else but slavery. That's what he's saying that people are tempted to go back to. And it is the thing that is causing him great anxiety. Salvation by way of law was to try to get God to accept us on the basis of our keeping some moral code to make Him happy with us. You see, these days and months and seasons and years that he mentions in verse 10 are a direct reference back to the old Mosaic law that was a long litany of things to do to keep God satisfied with us. Now, I think this is incredibly important for us. Why, do you ask? You see, I think that we can relate because if you look around at TCU today, I think you'll see this. Most of us actually prefer that God would give us a long list of things to do. We kind of just wish that He would just say, here are the ten things, and if you'll just keep them, we'll be okay. I mean, it's so much easier if you just give us something to do. That way we sort of like religion by performance. But I want you to know that as we have seen throughout this letter, living this way requires zero trust in God. It really is a form of bargaining with God. God, you set the rules, I'll keep them. And so long as I have kept them, you have to keep up of your end of the, of the deal too. In reality, this way of living before God hang with me, is actually a way of keeping God at a distance. It's a way of protecting ourselves from God Himself. You see, people like me, who are religious at times, they will try to keep all of the rules to avoid real intimacy with God. You see, I'll go to RUF. I'll go to Ignite. I'll go to Young Life. I'll read my Bible more. I promise to pray more. I promise to do X, Y, and Z. And then, 
all of those things, God, you'll be okay with me. But I want to let you know this. That doing so takes the sick form of promoting distance between God and us. It's a way of keeping God at bay. Stay away from me. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. Don't mess with me, O Lord. You cannot mess with my life. I've done what you've asked me to do. We keep God at bay. And I want to say the religious implications of this are huge because it means on a campus like this, you may come to RUF, you might wear the fish on your car, that whole deal, but deep down you're doing it to say this, God, stay away, keep your hands off. Keep your hands off. Now, I just want to ask you this, honestly. Where do you find yourself doing this? Where do you find yourself looking around at the things that you do? And on the outside, everything looks real and clean and genuine. But on the inside, there's nothing but fear and anxiety and a desire for more law. Look, I've been on this campus long enough to know this. That most of what goes on in the name of Christianity on this campus is exactly what I'm describing. Give me the spiritual checkbox. I'll check it and I'm good, right? I went to RUF. God's happy with me. And I actually want to say this. If you're not a Christian, coming to RUF does not make God happy with you. Reading your Bible does not make God accept you. Going to church and praying is not the thing that makes God like you. The thing that makes Him like, accept, and delight in you is the death of His Son, Jesus. Period. Nothing else. Do you believe that tonight? It's that that the Galatians were turning away from that was causing Paul to be utterly perplexed as he cared for them. Well, we've looked there now at what it was that caused it, but let's take a look at what it actually looks like. In other words... What were the symptoms of Paul of this bewilderment that Paul had? You can find them there in verses 12 through 17. You see, these Galatians were turning back to keeping the law and they were actually further enslaving themselves. But let's consider how they have turned away from deep care for and relationship with not the Gospel, but with Paul. I'm saying this. I'm trying to be as clear as I possibly can. The cause, they're turning away from the gospel. The way that Paul knew it, the symptom, they were turning away from him. Let's take a look. Previously, Paul had visited with this church in Galatia. And due to some physical ailment, most commentators would say probably of the eyes. That's why he would say, you've cared for me so much, you would have gouged your own eyes out and given them to me. They cared for him. But once they began to listen to these false teachers who promoted salvation by a Jesus plus something, They began to pull away from listening to Him. They began to pull away from relationship with Him. And now that things are different, Paul is actually changing his tone with Him. You can imagine if you were a parent and your children were doing things that were going to cause their harm. Laura and I, we have twin little girls and our oven in our kitchen is just at arm's length for our girls to sort of grab the door of and begin to shake vigorously. And so we're often having to tell them no when the oven is not on. Because you can imagine the problem that that would become if it's ever, you know, 
piping hot at 450 degrees or something like that as I'm cooking my little cheap Totino's pizza, okay? Because I don't want, I don't want them to get burned. And so I actually change my tone with them. I don't just say, oh, Evangeline, sweetheart, could you please remove your hands from that door? <laughs> no. Evangeline, no. Daddy said no. Please do not, please do not touch that. Paul is saying that he's changing his tone with them because they're beginning to abandon him. Now, I actually want to say that this is huge because whenever you seek to do relationship or care for someone, there will always, always, always be a time when they begin to turn away from you. And underlying it all is a lack and a loss of this gospel. It will always be, be motivated by a turning back to this law mentality. Here's what I mean. When we believe a counterfeit gospel will always ruin real relationship. Let me say that again. When you believe that you must add something to Jesus, you will always ruin real relationship. Here is why. Because from that point on, you will in some way, shape, form, or fashion begin to take people that you're called to love and care for and you will exploit them and use them to make them feel good about yourself. That's just what happens. Now, I'm going to go straight for the juggler on this one. I'm going to talk about sex right here and now. Because you see, on this campus, like I'm not blind, I'm not dumb, I've been to college I just sort of, I understand it, okay? I've worked long enough with students and I've been through college to understand this. But I actually want to suggest to you that on this campus that sex is the real deal. And here's what I mean. Sex on this campus is far more about using the other person to feel good about yourself or to give you some sense of security. Or it is about using the other person for, for mere pleasure. And all of this represents not a care for the other person, not a genuine love for the other person, but an exploitation of them. You see, if you believe that you must have the security and the love and affection of another person, you will always be using that person to get that thing. And that's exactly what happens in any sort of sexual relationship like that. It's just what's going on under the surface. You are saying, I am more important than you. And I will do whatever it takes to make you be about me. And I just want to suggest to you that that mentality is always a you over me mentality. And it's not just in sex, but it's in all of life as well. Look, the gospel has a bearing on even our biblical sexual ethics. It changes the way that we actually think about sex from a you over me, I mean a me over you mentality, to a you over me mentality. And that's always expressed in the proper, proper confines of a covenant relationship. Now, I'm getting a little bit far afield. If you want more on this, come back next fall. I'm already highlighting it all semester long, sex dating relationships. That's what we're going to do. 
But back to our purposes at hand. I'm trying to say this. The law will always sabotage real relationship. It will. And that's what Paul is saying is happening here. Where do you see this in your life? Where do you see people running from you, absolutely abandoning you, and you go, how, what am I to do? How, do I, how am I to respond? That's where we're going to turn now. Let's take a look at the way the response comes from Paul, not from these people. What is the response that Paul shows us? You can find it in verses 19 and 20. The Galatians have begun to abandon this message that Paul was giving them. This Jesus plus nothing equals everything message. We can't make God accept us by our moral performance. And when they believe these things, their behavior toward Him has changed. They begin to run and hide. And how does Paul respond? Look at it there in verse 19. He says he groans for them as a mother in labor pains. That is literally the language that a female has as she is giving birth to a child. The pain and the labor because of the deep love that is about to be birthed is how Paul feels for these folks that he loves so deeply, so viscerally, that are running away from him and his message. Look, any sort of relational care for people to whom you are ministering and for whom you are caring will cause this deep bellyache in you when they make shipwreck of their life. If you want to care for people, true care for people in a relationship will always evoke the deepest of aches. If I'm honest, and if we're honest, don't you, this is just scary. I don't want it to be this way. You see, C.S. Lewis was right. Love anything and your heart will be broken. It just will. You care for anything and it will. But look what Paul is teaching us. He is saying that when you pursue people an intense motherly love, when they run for you, you are actually doing the very thing that they need. Look, do you groan for people in this way? Not for just anything, but that Christ will be formed in them. That's what's going on. It's not just a groaning for any... It's, Paul is longing for Jesus to be made more real in their hearts and lives. This is what it means to really care for people. This is what it means to be really relational, to be truly authentic in the Christian sense, is to long for Christ to be formed in those people that we love and care for. Look, this is so important because I think we actually choose one of two options over against this. First of all is this. If we see or hear about someone making shipwreck of their life, what do you often do? I just let him go. I'm trying to get better at that. As a minister, I'm trying to get better at pursuing people that I know are making shipwreck of their lives. That's what Paul is doing here. But you know what? I actually don't want to do it because of the discomfort that it will bring me. And Paul is saying that you've got to pay very close attention to this idol of comfort that you have if this is you. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable. But look, 
part of what it means to be a Christian and to love folks is to pursue them in the midst of them making a shipwreck of their lives. You think I'm lying? Look what Paul says over in Galatians chapter 6. He says, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. They will most likely fight back, undoubtedly. That's what people do when they're confronted. That's what you and I do when they're confronted. They get mad at you. But Paul calls us to pursue, to groan for them. Secondly, the other response is that we often go after them and beat them down with shame. Are you like that? Do you run after somebody and make them feel worse than they already do? Look, I'm glad you're pursuing, but you need to learn what it looks like to groan groan for them with a motherly love. Does that make sense? That's the genius of, of what Paul is talking about here, is that the two go together. It's pursuit with this groaning. It's this grace and truth wed together. Now, I just want to ask us this in our last few minutes. How are you and me able to be able to find the strength to be able to actually live like that as a Christian? I want to suggest to you it comes in this and this only. My friend Kevin Twitt reminds us of this. He says the only way that we can long for other people is because Jesus longs and groans for us. You see, when you and me were believing wrong things and we're basing our life on those things, Jesus was groaning for you. You see, when you and me were running from Him because we thought we had found a better way, a better life was on offer, Jesus didn't just stay put. He came after you. He pursued you. He tracked you down like the hound of heaven as He's often called. He didn't quit or give up on you. That's the only way that you can begin to see this. You see, He didn't let His own comfort get in the way of pursuing you. So you now have resources to be able to admit your own discomfort as you pursue other folks. He Himself did not come after you harshly. Do you remember what Paul says in the book of Romans? It says this, that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. Look, y'all, here's what I'm trying to say. He had every right to be harsh and angry with us. But instead, He woos us like a shepherd. He tends to us like lambs. But He had every right to come after us and to to unload all sorts of judgment on us. But because of Christ on the cross, we got the kindness of God we got a God that never quits coming after and pursuing us. we get a God who groans on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you and me get the radical acceptance, the radical right of be- being called a son. Do you know that today? Do you know that tonight? That that's actually what's true of you if you are in Jesus. If you are not in Jesus tonight, I want you to know that this really is what is on offer to you. The acceptance, family, a part in the family with God Almighty that takes your sin and utterly blasts it away in such a way that there is no longer anything between you and God when you receive Jesus. This is the good news for you. Y'all look, you won't hear anything better tonight for you. 
You don't have anything else to send you out tonight to have a great fall break. Christian, you are loved by Christ. And He has proved it to you on the cross. Non-Christian, come to Him. Receive Him. Come to Him. It can be yours. Y'all, let's pray.